Hey, BSN listeners, we're really excited to tell you about a game-changing coffee. Strava Craft Coffee can't make any claims, but this CBD-enriched coffee, they've really changed lives. The reviews, they're incredible. You got to check these guys out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, decreased anxiety, you name it. CBD is all natural. It's not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend Strava Craft Coffee anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the code BSN2010. That's BSN2018 at checkout and get it shipped straight to your door. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwood. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. Welcome to BSN Nuggets Podcast, presented by Total Beverage. Here's what Total Beverage has going on right now for BSN listeners. Really awesome deal. If you guys didn't know, Total Beverage is now delivering beer, wine, liquor, and spirits to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. I've had Total Beverage delivered to my place last two weekends, I think. Flawless delivery. It's easy. It's fast. goes right to your door. You don't even have to put on shoes. But for a limited time, Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. That's the only thing. You got to use their website and app. You also got to use promo code BSN10. Again, use promo code BSN10, BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase from Total Beverage for all your holiday parties and have it delivered right to your door. A lot to get to in today's show. Total Beverage fan hotline blew up over the weekend. We'll see if we can fit some of those questions in as we talk about this latest Nuggets win, an impressive one. I didn't put out a new top five wins on Twitter like I've been tracking all year. Got to get around to that. Maybe I'll put that out later tonight. But this is definitely in the top five for the Nuggets, I think. And we'll talk about a bunch of notes from that game. What Paul Millsap did, what Nikola Jokic did. Gary Harris returns to the lineup, obviously. And I sound like a broken record, but another big game from Monte Morris. But looking ahead real quick, though, Christian, Monday night, the Nuggets, who are now the number one team, the number one seed for now in the Western Conference, at 15 and 7. They hold a head-to-head tiebreaker right now over the Los Angeles Clippers who fell Sunday night to the Dallas Mavericks. So your Nuggets are now the number 1 seed in the West and Monday night they'll face Toronto who is the top team in the Eastern Conference. I think they've probably been the top team in the NBA for much of this season, but does this feel like a big matchup upcoming here Monday the top team in the West against the top team in the East? I got to think if this was Golden State against Toronto, it'd probably get a bit more pub like it did when those two teams played a couple weeks ago or last week and everybody was like, oh, is this a NBA Finals preview? Yeah, I mean, I guess technically it is the top team in the West versus the top team in the East. But, you know, the way I look at it is the Nuggets are a really, really good team in just such a, a tight-packed conference and the Raptors are clearly the, the class of the Eastern Conference right now. I mean, the Raptors have a four-game lead over the Bucks, um, who are in second right now. The Nuggets are tops in the Western Conference, like you said, but they've got a four-game lead over like all the teams who aren't even in the playoff picture right now. Right. That's how jumbled it is. They've got a four-game lead on the Sacramento Kings, who are 11-11 and 11, and the 11th overall seed in the Western Conference. Like, There's four games... Right now, separating the Nuggets at the top spot and the Kings at the 11th spot. You can even go down to the Jazz, who right now are 14th in the Western Conference at 11 and 13. They're only five games back of Denver. So the Nuggets, as good as they've started out this year, the Western Conference is so muddled, they haven't really put that much distance between them and the field. 
But on the other hand, that makes this good start, like we talked about at the beginning of the season, so crucial to their success going forward. Because, my God, if they had gotten off to a start like the Jazz have uh, so far, I feel like there would be some alarm bells ringing probably. Oh, no question about it. I mean, this is the the most muddled I've ever seen one conference a quarter of the way in. Yeah. Is that, is that the case with you right now? Probably. We still like to say it's pretty early on, but we are over a quarter of the way through the regular season. Typically, Christmas is probably the first point in the NBA calendar where most people say, all right, we're done with kind of like early observations and small sample sizes. Like Christmas is the point where you can really look at a team and their makeup and what they're doing on the offensive and defensive end of the floors and probably extrapolate that to the end of the year. So I think we still got some time for things to shake out, but I can't imagine at Christmas a month from now, things are going to look that much different than they look right now, right? Yeah. Oh, man. It's it's just a, a death trap. I mean, every single night is a tough game in the Western Conference, aside from the Phoenix Suns, who have four wins. Everybody has 11 or more wins. The Suns have four. It's kind of what we <laughs> talked about at the beginning of the season, right? I felt like we identified the Suns and the Kings as the two teams that you could probably... You would still have to show up, but just barely show up, and you can get... Uh, win over those two teams. Everybody else is going to be a pretty tough opponent. But now with the Kings playing like they are, it's really just the Suns who, my God, they are awful. 4-19. and I didn't think they'd actually be that bad. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what Zion Williamson thinks about the desert. Ooh. Well, he is from what? South Carolina? It's not the desert. It's not the desert. <laughs> it's a little more of a temperate climate in South Carolina on the coast. Yeah. Or Cleveland. Cleveland's 4-18. and yeah, uh, Igor is my guy. I still think he's going to be a really good coach, but that, that's uh, that's tough sledding. Yeah, well, I think they might have a bit of a more of a long view in mind now after firing Ryan McDonough. I don't know if McDonough was still in charge. Igor might be on thin ice for no good reason at all. He just might be on thin ice because that's how things used to operate in Phoenix under the previous regime. Yeah, um, before we move on uh, and, and get into this Portland game, I just did want to say about uh, Toronto. I was kind of combing through some of their numbers today and yesterday, and this was the one that, that jumped out to me the most. Um, they have the by far the most dominant um, five-man lineup in basketball. The mm. the uh, Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, um, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, and Serge Ibaka, five-man unit as their starting five, is outscoring opponents by 16 points per 100 possessions in 234 minutes. It's crazy. It's, it's insane. Like, it's like four points per 100 possessions more than like the second closest team. I mean, they are just bludgeoning people. With Do that. you have where the Nuggets starting five ranked in comparison to those guys with Will Barton when he was healthy for what just those two games? Because I know those guys put up really good numbers. Obviously, it was just one, one and a half games even, but they, they got a small sample size this year. And that was really no surprise in those first couple of games because Going back to last year, in what, 65 minutes, that five was dominant. The Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, and uh, Nikola Jokic, five. Do you have what those guys put up in comparison to what the Raptors have done that five? So that that five-man Nuggets group obviously only got to play in in two games together before Barton went down against the Suns with that, that core hip injury, but... They had a, a 30.5 net rating, meaning they outscored opponents by 30.5 points per 100 possessions. Not bad in a, a limited 46-minute sample size. And what's the Raptors' net rating again? Uh, 16 points per 100. Okay. In like 230 minutes. Okay. Yeah, the Raptors are good, man. They're really good. I think they've got the best player in the Eastern Conference right now. That could be debated. It's probably either Kawhi or Giannis. I'd probably take Kawhi to win me a game. And, yeah, they got a great team. They're deep. Nick Nurse knows what he's doing. Again, we'll have to wait till the playoffs for them, though. Two most enjoyable surprises player-wise this season, in my opinion, Pascal Siakam and De'Aaron Fox. Siakam mm. is one of my favorite guys to watch on a night-in and night-out basis. Yeah, he is. Uh, he could be an all-star in maybe next year. Yeah. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe this year? I don't know. Oh, man, he's insane. He's. I think he's probably their, their third best player already. And if you're – you know, the best possible outcome for Jared Vanderbilt is mm. something that, that kind of looks like Pascal Siakam, I would imagine. Mm. He is just so aggressive 
crashing the glass, just flying around. The guy's just a ball of energy. Last thing I'll say before we move on to the Portland game. We've talked about this quick start. I mean, it's not really a quick start anymore. We're more than a quarter way through the season. Nuggets are 15 and 7. This good start and what's some of the leading contributors behind it. We touched on the defense a lot. It's obviously a huge story with this team. Third in defensive rating still. We've touched on the bench a lot. How I think the Nuggets have the best bench in the league. Probably better than the Raptors bench so far. The Raptors aren't playing like the four-man or five-man bench lineup that they did last year. They're kind of mixing their stars and bench more this year. But anyways, we've talked about those two things as reasons why the Nuggets have got off to a good start. Here's something we probably haven't talked enough about that's contributing to this really good play at the beginning of the season. The continuity on this team. And I mentioned it a lot this summer and a lot this preseason as reasons why I thought Denver could get off to a good start. But anytime you return... 78% of your rotation year to year. That's got to help you out a ton. These guys are so familiar with one another, and I haven't gone through every team and done the math, but I'm sure 78% of your rotation returning from year to year, that's got to be at the top or very close to the top in the league. Most teams don't have that type of continuity from year to year. And the fact that the Nuggets had that, And the fact that these guys or a lot of these guys were in the gym together for a lot of the summer, the fact that they all went down to Paul Millsap's facility in Atlanta and had that training camp there, the fact that after that training camp, which was a couple weeks before the Nuggets formal training camp began, pretty much the entire roster was in Denver playing together. And I've spoken to Monte Morris about this a lot. He would say how in those pickup runs, in those scrimmages, they would flat out just scrimmage starters versus bench. So I just think returning 78% of your roster from year to year, it's just a built-in advantage that I feel like the Nuggets had this year. It's something we talked about in the summer, in the preseason, as a reason why we thought the Nuggets could get off to a good start. And we probably haven't mentioned it as much as we should have, I think. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and it's crazy to think that they have this continuity, but yet they're the fourth youngest team in the right. entire league. Their their average age is twenty four and a half years old. If you just look at some of the teams that are kind of in their company age wise, the Nuggets are are leaps and bounds better than those teams: the Knicks, the Bulls, the Kings, the Hawks, the Suns, who are pretty comparable age wise. I think the Nuggets just have a lot of guys who love to play basketball too. I, I think that's one of the secrets to their success. Paul Millsap loves hooping. Will Barton loves hooping, Monte Morris, Gary Harris. They just have a lot of guys who have a genuine love for the game and work really hard at their craft too, I think. Nuggets are the second youngest team in the league. They have one player over 30 years old. It's Paul Millsap. He's 33 years old. Their second oldest player is Isaiah Thomas, who's 29. It's unbelievable when you look at the success they've had. And typically playoff teams are going to have a bunch of seasoned veterans on them and we know obviously the Nuggets haven't made the playoffs yet but they're really young and uh yeah it's it's fun to watch all right let's get into this uh game from Friday Nuggets win 113 112 let's start with Gary Harris the return of Gary Harris he was sidelined for a couple games with that ankle injury welcome back Gary Harris 27 points not terribly efficient, 9 of 21 from the field, but certainly good to have him back in the lineup, right? Yeah, Gary Gary looked really good after that two-game hiatus. Um, you know, hit, hit four threes in this game. That was encouraging to see. He's kind of struggled at times as a three-point shot this year. I thought especially early that he did a nice job of moving without the ball. I think maybe his first basket of the game was was just a back cut. He had another play late in the first quarter where him and Millsap were both standing at the top of the key, and Gary flipped it to Millsap, and Millsap tried to drive middle, and you just saw Gary you know, kind of work his way along the three-point arc right to the, the left corner, and it was just a perfect example of Gary Harris knows how to space the floor. Millsap drove middle, kicked it to Gary for that, that corner three. So, yeah, I mean, I thought there were a lot of encouraging things from him, especially late, which we know. But, I mean, he looked like the Gary Harris that 
you know, we've grown accustomed to watching the past couple seasons. He did. I thought he did a great job of getting to the rim, which I guess when you have an ankle injury, it could be a bit of an issue. But he didn't look 100%, I didn't think. He was still favoring it a little bit. But 14 drives per NBA.com for Gary Harris in this game. He averages about nine per nine and a half, nine per game, I believe. So he got to the hoop a lot, and that, that really opened up things for this Nuggets team. The three-point shooting, it's coming around. Gary Harris was 4-10 from three. We've spoken about this team-wide shooting slump that Nuggets have been under throughout this early season. Jamal Murray, he's still not really out of it. But Gary Harris is emerging from it. Paul Millsap has been hitting the three ball really well. Nikola Jokic still trying to find his shot. But remember when the Nuggets were 29th in uh, three-point shooting? We talked about that on a lot of podcasts over the first couple weeks of the season. There's 19th right now. So they're moving up steadily. Over the Nuggets' last 10 games, though, they're the third-best three-point shooting team in the league. Nuggets are hitting 38.8% of their threes over the last 10 games. So the shooting is coming around, and it's kind of the final frontier for this team, right? They've been killing it on the defensive end of the floor. The offense is coming around. It's it's getting there. I, I do think it's getting closer. Like this first half against Portland, the ball was flying around. Everybody was moving. The .5 mentality, Nuggets have this thing called .5 mentality where they don't want anybody to hold the ball for longer than 0.5 seconds. They want you to pass it, shoot it, drive the ball within 0.5 seconds of receiving a pass. You saw that on display against Portland. It's coming around. It's kind of the final ingredient. And I'm speaking about the three-point shooting to the makeup of this team. Yeah, I thought the ball was moving around really well, like you said. It's staggering that the Nuggets are 15-7, and seven, that they have the best record in the in a loaded Western Conference right now, and Gary Harris is shooting 33% from three-point land. Nikola Jokic, 31.6%. Jamal Murray, 31.2%. Trey Lyles, 27.1%. I mean, those guys are probably, I don't know, four of their five, four of their their six best shooters on the entire team, on Mm -hmm. a team where they have a ton of great shooters. I mean, four, five, or six of their best shooters are are shooting it well below what we've seen from them in their careers. And here the Nuggets are winning all these games still. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. We've got a lot more to say about this game, a lot more notes. Take some questions from the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, too. we got to take a break, though. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. This podcast is presented by InWeGo, the subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only 39 bucks per month with no additional cost or fees. You heard that right, as many events as you can fit into your schedule for only $39 per month. Brandon Spano's here and he's gonna tell us a little bit about it. Yeah guys, this year alone, I've been to Avalanche games, Nuggets games, Rockies games, Rapids games, Buffs games. I've been to concerts, uh, beer tastings, food festivals. I even went to a few comedy shows, so it's literally changed my life. (laughs) If it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that InWeGo can get you in. And here's where it gets good. We've partnered with InWeGo to give BSN listeners a great deal. Go to InWeGo.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe to get 50% off your first month. That's right, all the events you can handle for less than $20 for your first month. Try it and fall in love with it like we did here at BSN Denver. Go to inwego.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Total Beverage. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here, Monday edition of the show. Let's talk about a guy that I like to call Big Game P, Paul Millsap. 22 points for him against Portland. Paul Millsap was the subject of a lot of criticism early on this season from some in the Denver media. Over the past 10 games, really probably over the past 15 games, uh, he's been so solid. We know what he does on defense. Now we're getting the offense back. And it seems like to me at least that Paul Millsap's got a little bit of his swagger back. Do you see that at all? Big game P instead of Uncle Paul. 
Big Game P, man. That's uh, that's the nickname he got. What was it after the Minnesota game where he came back and closed that game out with the uh, five stitches? Okay, all right. Uh, we just did we discuss this on the oh, podcast I mean, last I mean, week? I, I know it's a thing that happened. I, I don't know. I'm just. I'm just really in favor of Uncle Paul. If I was power ranking the Paul Millsap nickname rankings, Uncle Paul one, the Anchorman two, and then Big Game P three. I mean, it's not flashy. It's not uh, really. It's I don't know if it's like headline worthy, but you know, Paul Millsap's not a flashy guy. What did Paul George call himself in the playoffs? Um, playoff P. Okay. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> That was bad. <laughs> okay, yeah, that that was bad. <laughs> Millsap had... I mean, and Paul, <laughs> Paul George did not have a great showing in the playoffs either. <laughs> yeah, playoff P. Um, oh, man, we need to forget that ever at happened. Le- at least he had the alliteration, though. <laughs> yeah, we need to forget that ever happened. That was terrible. Paul George should be fined like $20,000. Anytime you give yourself a nickname, it's never a good scenario. No, it, it really works out. <laughs> Uh, getting back to Millsap real quick. Um, I mean, I think it was kind of fair to to worry a little bit, at least after that Lakers game. I, it was Denver's fifth game of the year. If you if you think back, you know, Paul Paul got stuffed by the rim on a dunk in that game. It really sticks out in my mind. He was really having trouble finishing at the rim in the beginning part of the year. Um, first five games of the year, shooting 37% from the field. He'd only made a one of eight threes. I mean, he just really wasn't even taking threes. Uh, you look at the 17 games since, Paul's averaging 14.5 points on 53.4% shooting, 45% from three on two and a half attempts a game, 6.6 rebounds, 1.5 steals, and 1.1 blocks. This looks like four-time All-Star, Paul Millsap, to me, the, these last 17 games or so. I, I totally agree with you that he's got his swagger, his confidence back. He's been great since he, he went into the headband. Um, I mean, I, I said it after that game, too. I don't think that many guys would have returned from, you know, getting a gash in their head like that. I, I just think, you know, Paul Millsap's toughness, um, his steadiness, it, it just raises the baseline of what this team does so much. How great of a look is the headband, though? Oh, he, he looks fantastic. He should never take it off. The headband with the two arm sleeves. The guy looks like a freaking superhero out there. I totally agree. Paul Millsap, more than anybody on this team, and that's not really saying much because I just said the Nuggets returned 78% of their rotation or roster from last year, but Paul Millsap being healthy, playing how he has the first quarter of the season, he has totally changed the makeup the identity, the attitude of this Nuggets team. How they attack games on the road, how they come out against the Atlantas of the world, even like the Brooklyns of the world. I know they lost that game, but like it's not like they came out against Brooklyn like they did against a lot of the bottom feeders of the East and bottom feeders of the West this year. He has just totally changed the uh, makeup of this team. This is a gritty team right now. This is a team that's going to dig in on the defensive end, and like they're not afraid to get dirty on that end of the floor. Like this isn't as much the nice team. Like we called them nice a lot last year. They're not very nice anymore. They they got an attitude to them right now, and. I don't know if you can give anybody more credit than you can give Paul Millsap for that. Like he, He's just totally changed uh, the identity of this team. They're just a hard-working bunch right now. Yeah, I mean, do you remember the early part of last year when they would have these awful performances on the road? I mean, I remember after one of the Pelicans games early in the year, Mason Plumlee basically just, just challenged the team's you know effort level. He challenged their focus level. You know, that sort of thing cropped up a, a number of times last year, um, especially in the, in the first half of the season. We really haven't seen that at all this year. I mean, what about that Thunder game? Like, that was a classic game on the second night of a back-to-back. They get into Oklahoma City late. You're going up against a, a team that's been... You, you've played them tough in the past, but anytime you go up against Russell Westbrook, and you know, they are pretty healthy right now outside of Andre Robertson, but it's a tough team. That's the classic type of game Denver probably 
would have laid down and if they didn't get off to like a hot start in the first quarter. And they faced some adversity at the beginning of that game, but sure enough, they didn't go away. And I think you got to credit Paul Millsap a lot for just instilling a sense of toughness in this team that wasn't there. It's showing up on the road. It's showing up in those games against uh, lottery teams when you're not playing the Lakers of the world on ESPN, when you're not playing uh, the Warriors of the world, when you're not playing like the Thunder, you got to come out with a certain sense of toughness. He's given them that boost uh, this year. He, he's been so valuable. We, we've spoken about so many times about what he's done on the defensive end of the floor. And now we see what he's doing on the offensive end of the floor. But the intangibles, the intangibles are a huge reason why Denver brought him here in the first place. They needed kind of a bit of a culture setter. They had a really good culture here, but they just needed you know that guy who, who really embodies it. And uh, he, he's proving his worth this year. A lot of people get on Paul Millsap for the contract he has, $30 million. He's probably not worth $30 million to a lot of teams. He's worth every penny to the Nuggets, I feel like. Yeah, and I, I never understood why there was that segment of media or fans, whatever, that that killed the Nuggets for that giving him $30 million for those two years because they didn't really have to pay their young guys yet. I mean, he was kind of getting all that money in those bridge years where they had all this young talent, but you know, the the check really wasn't due. I mean, I, I can see a scenario where if the Nuggets, you know, stay on the path around this year and they remain competitive, that Paul Millsup comes back on, on a lot less money next sure. year. I mean, that's just kind of a, a gut feeling speculating there, but it, you're you're totally right. I mean, he is worth $30 million to this team that, this year. Michael Ballone said after the game that uh, Paul Millsup, you know, kind of got up in the fourth quarter during a, a timeout and said, if we want to be a playoff team, this is the type of game we have to win. You know, Paul isn't the rah-rah type leader. He's more of a leader by example or whatever. But I thought that was pretty interesting, too, that that was one time where he felt like interjecting. It was. It was very notable. Something they didn't have last year when Paul was out of the lineup. And even probably when he got back in the lineup at the end of the year, he's this guy who was still trying to find himself after not playing for so long. I don't know if he would have spoken up like that last year, but he's doing that this year, and it kind of goes back to the point I was making a few minutes ago. He's he totally changed the makeup of this team, and they're kind of embodying his spirit. They're playing like Paul Millsap plays right now. And what about his offense? I mean, he's shooting incredibly efficient from the floor. I believe those stats you just rattled off, uh, what was it, his last 15 or 17 games? Mistake me if or correct me if I'm wrong, but that's probably the second highest field goal percentage on the Nuggets behind Mason Plumley. And we know how tough the shots are that Paul Millsap has taken. He doesn't take easy shots. He doesn't get many open shots unless they're coming from three. Uh, so he's in his own right now, and he definitely has his swagger back. He's got his superpowers back as he said, following a shoot around like three weeks ago. It's been fun to watch. I want to transition real quick into what Monte Morris did the other night and also talk about what his role could be when Isaiah Thomas gets back. A couple of you guys called in with questions about Monte Morris, but let's get into what he did against Portland right now. My name is Chris from New Jersey, and Monte Morris has been um, huge for this team this year. I think he's the reason why the team has had so much success. Do you think he'll be cut out of rotation once Isaiah Thomas comes back in the next few weeks? Thank you. Thanks for the question, Chris, and thanks to all the other guys who called in about Monte. I'm not going to play all those questions, but got a lot of people asking about Monte Morris. Another great game from him against Portland. 16 points, two rebounds. He did have a turnover, an uncharacteristic turnover. Seven of eight from the field, two or three from three. I thought the biggest revelation about Monte Morris's night, Christian, was that he played 30 minutes and he played the entire fourth quarter. I've been clamoring for him to finish a couple of these games here over the course of this season. We saw him out there for the entire fourth quarter, first with the bench unit, then with the starters. What did you kind of take away from his night? It felt like every shot Monte made was just critical. Like anytime Portland was making a run, there was Monte to, to make a huge shot. He had that, that pull-up jumper mid-range um, in the fourth quarter that, that broke an 8-0 Portland run, and then he followed that up with just 
a three from straight straightaway territory. I mean, Monte, I mean, he's just cold-blooded. He, he never seems to get rattled. He, he's unflappable. This was, you know, a, a better scoring game than it was uh, a passing game for him, which is, you know, a little bit different than what we've seen. But he's just so steady, man. I mean, it's it's crazy that he's become such a dependable player for a really good team and this is his first time in an NBA rotation he's so steady he's got the same demeanor as a Gary Harris after he hits a game winner against Oklahoma City on TNT just I could see Monte Morris hitting the same game winner and just his expression not even changing just no smile maybe like a little sly grin but he just stays so steady and uh 30 minutes this was a big game from him uh he's become crucial to this team's success so the question, you know, we got today and the one we've been getting a lot, when Isaiah Thomas comes back, Monte Morris is going to stay in this rotation. I cannot see a scenario right now where you can look at this guy, you can look at what he's done on offense and on defense. He's been very solid on the defensive end of the floor and say, okay, we got Isaiah Thomas back. You know, we don't need you anymore. We can't find any minutes from you. Yeah, they could be really small in the backcourt, but... You cannot sit this guy down right now. We spoke about this, what, on Friday show? When you're ranking MVPs for this team right now, I would probably go Nikola Jokic, Paul Millsap, Gary Harris, and Monte Morris. Monte Morris maybe could even challenge Gary Harris for that third spot just with how crucial and how he's kind of been the catalyst to that bench unit. Yeah, you just can't afford to take him out of the rotation when IT comes back. I remember one of the our like five burning questions before the season, which backup point guard do you think will, will have, make a bigger impact this season, Isaiah or Monte? And, and I remember going with Monte, and then afterwards I felt a little uneasy about it. I was like, man, that felt like it was hot take territory, and now I feel great about it. That's the great side to be on. I said Isaiah, and I think I'm going to be wrong about that. I guess I could still be right, but I believe I'm going to be wrong with that one, just kind of projecting how I think things might go. And, I mean, I thought Monte would be good. I thought he'd be solid, but, I mean, I didn't think he would be this good. Did, did anybody think he would be this good immediately? No, the yeah. Nuggets didn't. Yeah, The Nuggets didn't because they wouldn't have signed Isaiah Thomas if they, didn't, if they thought he'd be this good. Like, the thing with the signing Isaiah Thomas was, I'm sure there was some understanding between the two parties that, okay, you know, you're going to have a chance to play here. You're going to have a chance to get a lot of minutes with the bench unit. Yeah, you're not going to be the starter. Jamal Murray's our starter, but you're going to have a chance to kind of reestablish yourself, rehab your image on the court, cash in in free agency next summer, hopefully with you know a contract and maybe a bigger role on another team after this season. They did not envision Monte Morris coming out and playing 30 minutes, playing the entire fourth quarter, in a Northwest Division showdown against Portland that goes down to the final minutes. They did not anticipate that happening. Do you think you can get away with playing uh, three Mighty Mites in your rotation? We're going to see. We're going to see because uh, those two will definitely play probably together, right, at some point when Isaiah Thomas comes back here. And I don't know how things are going to turn out. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But... Whatever scenario unfolds, I cannot see Monte Morris being jettisoned from this rotation. They might be really small with uh, those two and like a Gary Harris at the three or those two and a Will Barton at the three, but they're going to have to see if it works. Michael Malone just has to love Monte Morris. You know, I, I think there's that old, I don't know if it's like a saying, but guys who play point guard are often notoriously difficult on, on guys who they're coaching, who play point guard. I mean, Monte Morris is just a, a coach's dream. You can always depend on him. You never have to worry about him. He always controls the pace of the game. He never takes dumb shots. Uh, I mean, it's you, you never have to worry about him. I would. He would be a fun guy to coach. Yeah, and Mike Malone, yeah, a former point guard, probably loves that. I got to imagine that Michael Malone in his playing days was more Monte Morris than he was Jamal Murray, wouldn't yeah. you say? Uh, yeah, probably Monte Morris, but um, slower and not as pretty of a jumper. Yeah, maybe more uh, McKinley Wright up in Boulder, the Colorado point guard, than okay. Monte Morris, who I have said is like a thrift store version of Monte Morris right now. Look out. Oh, okay. All right, we got to take a break real quick. More 
questions on the other side, some other notes from Denver's win Friday night in Portland. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, before we move on with the show, really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft Coffee can't make any claims, but this CBD and rich coffee, they've really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible, so you got to check them out. Again, this CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, decreased anxiety, you name it. CBD is all natural, not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check Strava Craft Coffee out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use promo code BSN2010 at checkout. That's promo code BSN2018 at checkout to get 20% off your shipment of Strava Craft Coffee. Get it sent straight to your door. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Total Beverage, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here, Monday edition of the show. Let's fast forward to late in the game. Denver was up by what, 18 at one point in this one? Portland comes back as I think a lot of people probably thought they would. This was a hectic end of the game. We got a question from Corey about it. So let's go to the Total Beverage fan hotline, listen to Corey's question, and then talk about what went down at the end of regulation. Hello, this is Corey from Florida. Can't lie, I was nervous at the end of the game there, especially with the the almost was well, the almost turnover that turned into a turnover on the the last offensive play for the Nuggets when all we had to do was shoot free throws and they could run a play. But I think my take on the game is our offense was fine late. But our defense put us in a situation where it looked like our offense, look, it made us have to overcome uh, our defensive. Our offense had to overcome our defensive struggles. So my take on the game is we need to clean up some some late game uh, defensive uh, miscues, and we'll be all right going in the future. Although there is some uh, little little things that we can do offensively better in the in the clutch like that, like Jamal Murray should have came more towards the corner, more towards Jokic to get that ball, receive it, and then he would have been in a better position to to go up quarter or kick it back to him or whatever. So late game defense, uh, bad late game defense rearing its ugly head there late and making the offense look bad. So all in all, a win is a win. I'm glad that shot by McComb didn't go in. But what do you guys think? Appreciate the work. Thanks for taking my call. Go Nuggets. All right. Thanks, for Corey, for the call. I felt like this was a little step back for the defense. It wasn't quite as stout as it's been throughout most of the season. They're still third in defensive rating. Portland's a good team. They've got good guards that Denver has had trouble with in the past. They've had trouble with Yusef Nurkic in the past. But there were some aspects of Denver's defense I thought looked good. Like they shut down Lillard. Lillard was only 6-16 for 15 points. McCollum went off, but I felt like Gary Harris and you know whoever was switched on to Damian Lillard did a good job defending him. There was also another classic Jokic happy feet video that I tweeted out and included in uh, the Golden Nuggets, which went out Saturday morning. Um, how about Jokic moving his feet like he has over these past couple games? There's been a couple really good, uh, really good gifs and uh, videos of Jokic chopping his feet moving quicker quicker on defense. It's been a lot of fun to watch. I, di- I didn't think the defense was like super poor or would have been the reason why they lost the game, but maybe a tiny step back, but it's Portland. Like It's okay to have some letdowns like that. Yeah, I mean, CJ McCollum was dynamite in that game. You know, When he gets into a rhythm like that, he's a really difficult guy to stop. I thought their defense was fine. You know, Jokic and the strides he's made defending smaller players on the perimeter... I'm surprised he's gotten to this point this fast. I mean, uh, man, I-, I thought maybe it would take him getting embarrassed in a playoff series or something like that to to look like this in the defensive end. And I think you know some of the people in his camp are, are even a little bit surprised that he's shuffling his feet on the perimeter like this. You know, I think the Nuggets had a a, a very defined plan to you know have Jokic improve his lateral quickness. I think that's something that they communicated to his people in Serbia. I think Jokic worked on it. 
all summer. And, you know, Mike Bowen said, too, that they continue to do lateral quickness drills in practice, right. and clearly it's paying off there. No, I've talked with a bunch of Nuggets assistants and player development guys. That was really the one thing they really wanted Jokic to work on this summer, and for good reason. He did a lot of stuff this summer back in Serbia when it comes to increasing his foot speed. Like you said, they're still doing some of that stuff at practice. I don't know if that's been the case going back to last year or the year before, but they definitely are this year. And he's had a couple really fun defensive possessions where he's getting out on guards and uh, defending him pretty well. I remember going back to that Rockets game. He even hung with James Harden on a couple of those uh, isolations where the Rockets will literally have him and Jokic on one side of the floor and move you know, the remaining eight players over to uh, – one sideline. So I feel like we always like to declare a winner in the Nurkic-Jokic matchup just because, yeah. I don't know, it's a, a media thing to do and whatever, I like doing it. Who did, who did you have in this game? I mean, the lines uh, were pretty similar. I mean, there wasn't a clear-cut winner, I think, just, just based on the lines alone. I think Jokic won this matchup. And he didn't do much from a scoring standpoint in the second half. But in the first half, I really felt like he went at Nurkic when... He was presented with the opportunity. We know Jokic is going to make the right play, but I felt like he looked to score. I felt like he looked aggressive in that first half. The NBA.com matchup data, it's not perfect, but it's something. I don't think it should be disregarded 100%, but it probably shouldn't be taken for like for gold. I think they had Jokic as 7 of 11 when matched up against Nurkic, 7 of 11 from the field, so it was pretty much all his buckets uh, really all his shots except one. And then uh, at in the second half and, you know, at the end of the game, we saw Jokic turn into the distributor, and I thought he made the play of the night when he passed up what would have been a contested three for the Nuggets game-winning shot uh, with, what, under 30 seconds to go. Nurkic was charging out on him at the top of the arc, gives a pump fake, passes up a good shot for a better shot, Finds Gary Harris in the corner who knocks down the three. I thought that was a great play. It was the right play, of course. And, you know, I'll say Jokic won this matchup. He was a plus two. Yusef Nurkic was even on the night. Only 29 minutes for Nurkic. I mean, Nurkic scored like we always think he's going to do, but I felt like Jokic outplayed him. Nurk gets up for these matchups so much, oh, man. Yeah. He got, he grabbed five offensive rebounds in this game, and it just feels like it's going to be that way for a while. Like, Nurk is going to go balls to the wall. He's going to crash the offensive glass so hard. I would probably say Jokic got the better of him by a little bit in this game. The, the pass to Gary was beautiful, and it was an example of Jokic just kind of always making the right play. Jokic was going off in that second quarter. That's when he did the brunt of his scoring, and no one was more excited about him going right at Nurkic and taking him, taking it to him in the post than Will Barton. I don't know if you saw Will Barton on the sidelines there in the second quarter, but he was just going nuts. I was I was a little bit worried that he was going to re-aggravate his injury or something. I mean, you could just see him jumping around, screaming at Jokic, like, go at him. That's one of my like low-key favorite things about the Nuggets, that Will Barton and Jokic just love each other and root for each other so much. Right. Michael Malone likes to reference a story from when he coached LeBron James. I don't know if you knew this, Christian, but he coached LeBron James for five <laughs> seasons in Cleveland. But he likes to talk about a game from early in LeBron's career. And funny enough, it was against the Nuggets in Denver that Cleveland lost. And LeBron was criticized for not taking what was potentially the game-winning shot and he was triple teamed. He was criticized for not shooting the ball when he was triple teamed, and instead he passed it to a teammate who missed. And the Cavs lost, and the blame fell on LeBron's shoulders for not taking that shot, even though he was tightly guarded. We talk about the similarities that Nicole Jokic and LeBron James share. Michael Malone's touched on them. He touched on them before the Nuggets faced the Lakers, but they have the incredibly high IQ, both incredible playmakers, they have elite vision. Both really good scorers, too. But they also are similar in that sense, right? Like, they're always going to make the right play. Doesn't matter if it's at the end of the game. They're not going to shoot a shot when they can work for a better shot. And I think that's also a really cool thing that those two guys share. Courtesy of our friend Matt Moore on Twitter, he put together some Jokic and Nurkic on off numbers since. 
that memorable March 2017 game where the Nuggets were effectively eliminated from the playoffs by the Trailblazers. Of course, they weren't limited eliminated till a week or so later, but that was the first nail in their coffin. Nuggets are 4-1 and one since that game against Portland. Nicole Jokic is a plus 58 in those games. Yusef Nurkic is a minus 46 in those games. Ooh, some spicy numbers there. Yeah, probably hasn't gone according to plan for Nurkic since he wished those guys a happy summer. But, I mean, they've made the playoffs That's true. two years in a row while the Nuggets have been sitting at home enjoying their summers. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, I have a feeling that the Nuggets will be there this time. I do too. What else do we got from this game? Oh, I got this question on Twitter I wanted to ask you about a couple days ago. Lancho is shooting the ball like crazy from three this year. He was 2-2 two two from three in this game against Portland. Up to 46% from three-point range on three-and-a-half attempts per game so far this season. Is he the type of guy who could win a three-point contest? Does he have a pure enough shot to win a three-point shootout? So, you know, taking a ball off the rack, setting up your shot is a little bit different than just, like, getting a chest pass and launching it. You you don't have to tell me this. This is the guy who won the media three-point shootout a couple months ago at Pepsi Center. Well, you won it because I was back in Texas for the (laughs) Texas State Fair with my girlfriend. You were lucky about that. But, uh, man, I don't know if Wancho is a take-the-ball-off-the-rack-and-shoot-it guy. I think he might be just a a shoot-it-off-the-pass guy. Here's what Wancho would have going for him in a three-point contest. His form is super simple. There's not a lot of moving parts. It's very repeatable. What he has going against him, I think, he jumps really high on his three-point shot, right? And I feel like those three-point contest winners, there's not a lot of jump in their jump shot. It's kind of more of a set shot. He jumps so high, I'm worried he'd get tired. Oh, But I want to see him in it, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is he shooting, 45% right now? Yeah, it's 46% right now. He deserves to be in it. Right. I remember I was trying to get Darrell Arthur to submit his name in for it last year when he was shooting like 45% from three over the first half of last season. He didn't want any part of it, though. Well, he wasn't shooting that many threes either, though. Right, he wasn't. It was like one a game or something like that. Well, Wancho's kind of getting him up. Yeah, but Darrell Arthur was not missing from three last year. Last thing I'll say about this game, and this actually this goes back to what I was saying about Paul Millsap and him kind of just changing the identity and makeup of this team. This team's dangerous on the road right now. Six and four on the road. They've got some really impressive wins on the road too. Like that Clippers game opening night. Clippers who were the top team in the West, now they're the second team in the West. Still tied record-wise with Nuggets. That was a really impressive win. To win on the road on opening night's tough. Uh, the Clippers are a good team. In Oklahoma City, now in Portland, last year you just didn't think the Nuggets had much of a shot in those games, right? And, I mean, now now you probably shouldn't write them off in, in many of these road games, even against Toronto here on Monday night. I would be very surprised if the Nuggets won this game, but I'm not going to write them off like I would have written them off last year. Yeah, Denver was 15-26 and 26 on the road last year, just pretty terrible, Mark. Uh that's one of the things about this year's Nuggets team. They're, they're competitive in every game. I mean, it, they've only lost by double digits twice this season. Two of those were 10-point defeats, so it's not like they're blowouts. They, they don't get the breaks beaten off of them anymore, and I think you know part of that goes back to Paul Millsap raising the baseline of this team, and part of that, too, is just the young guys are more mature, more seasoned, and they bring the effort a lot more consistently, too. They've got some more road games coming up here. If we look at the Nuggets' upcoming schedule, of course they host, or not, they don't host, but they travel to Toronto for this matchup Monday night. They're in the midst of a five-game road trip right now. After Toronto on Monday, they go to Orlando, they go to Charlotte, then they go to Atlanta, back home for three. They got a lot more road games, too, uh, into December and January since I predicted Nuggets at 10-5, and five, a lot of you guys are asking for my predictions for this next batch of games. Let's go to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline and listen to a question from Ranchman. Again, if you guys have questions for the show, 1-800-BSN-8394 is the number to call. 1-800-BSN-8394. Call us up after the game Monday night against the Raptors. Let us know your thoughts. But let's go to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline one last time today. To Ranchman. Hello, Harrison and Christian. Ranchman here. 
Prior to the start of the season, each of you gave your 15-game projection. Pull out your crystal ball, and let's play this again, but this time game by game. Let me lay out the schedule. There are 13 games from November 30th through the end of the scheduling year on December 29th. I'm going to call those 13 the December gauntlet, and all the credit goes to the great Clint Eastwood. As of Saturday morning, when I leave this question on your hotline, only the first one has been played. That game in Portland was, of course, a hard-fought and terrific victory. The 13 games in the December gauntlet comprise eight road games, of which two are back-to-back, five home games, and a home-and-away series against the Spurs. Two of those games are against this year's Eastern Conference powerhouse, the Raptors, and also includes the Clippers on the road, who currently lead the Western Conference. So three of the 13 are against conference leaders. Eight of the games are against Western Conference foes. And the eight road games in this 30-day period are only exceeded by the nine road games in March. So this is a very compelling and very difficult schedule. Here's the rules. Each of you gets a win against Portland. Nicely done. Now go through the remaining 12 contests game by game and give me your projection. I think we're going to find out a lot about this year's edition of the Nuggets before we welcome in 2019. Thanks for your your thoughtfulness. I'm out. Thanks, Ranchman, for the question. All right, let's go game by game. Here's where we've got the Nuggets going through the end of the calendar year, the end of 2018. At Toronto, I've got this as a loss. What do you have it as? An L. We both have it as a loss. At Orlando, I have that as a W. Yep. At Charlotte, I have that as a loss. Oh, interesting. I got that as a win, but... Okay. I, mean, I, I can see, I definitely see, you know, Kemba just going nuts in that game. I mean, Charlotte's tough. At Atlanta, I have as a W. Yeah, I mean, if they don't beat Atlanta, oof. Versus Memphis, I have as a W. Revenge game. Yeah. What do you have it? W. Okay. Versus Oklahoma City, I have as a loss. Um, I've got OKC as a loss. Uh, my prediction for the Memphis game, Nicole Jokic shoots the ball more than one time. <laughs> I'm so going on the limb there. Yeah. Versus Dallas at home, or sorry, versus Toronto at home, I've got that as a loss. Yeah, L for me too. Toronto is a, a killing machine. And then versus Dallas, I have a, as a W. Yep, sorry, Luca. At Clippers, at Spurs, I have as two losses. Two losses. I think they're going to get one of them. I don't know which. And then home versus San Antonio and at Phoenix, I have as two wins. Yep, same here. All right, so I've got the Nuggets going 6-6 six and six over this next stretch of 12 games to take us through December 29th. Their record after that would be 21-13. and 13. That's a damn good record. You got them going 7-5? and five? Yep, 22-12 and 12 going into the New Year against the Knickerbockers at home, or, uh, New Year's Day. The Emmanuel Moody revenge game. All right, thanks for the questions, guys. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all of them. Keep calling in, though, and we'll get to as many as we can on Monday after the Raptors game, Monday night when we record Tuesday's show. But I think that's all we got for today. As always, thanks for listening. If you have a second, we'd love a five-star review over on iTunes. It helps us grow the show, helps us know that you guys are liking what we're putting out, which I think you are. Numbers are shooting up. By the episode, I can tell a lot of people are getting into nuggets right now. Hey, they're the number one team in the Western Conference. Why not? Thanks for listening, guys. Back with another episode tomorrow. Talk with you then.